0: Hello and welcome to Geek Between the Lines, the podcast where we explore compelling themes and some of our favorite geeky properties. I'm Chris. I'm Brittany. And this week we'll be exploring the theme of greed in The Hunger Games and The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes.
1: No greed to be found here.
0: (laughs) Yeah, this will be a hard one to really look through and and try to find. (laughs) But to get us started... We have a quote from The Hunger Games, the first book in the series, and this is after the reaping when Katniss and Peeta are on the train to the Capitol.
1: The supper comes in courses. A thick carrot soup, green salad, lamb chops and mashed potatoes, cheese and fruit, a chocolate cake. Throughout the meal, Effie Trinket keeps reminding us to save space because there's more to come. But I'm stuffing myself because... I've never had food like this, so good and so much, and because probably the best thing I can do between now and the games is put on a few pounds.
0: Yes, a good quote because it's interesting having Katniss enter the capital and that lifestyle and have a kind of greedy consumption of food when it's put in front of her.
1: Yeah, yeah. It is very interesting because like there's a practical element to I am really underweight. So putting on a few pounds is good and strategic. But then there is the element of like, as soon as you taste the amazing decadence, Mm. it is hard to say no to that.
0: Absolutely. And I think there's probably also an element of when you have access to food, you eat the food because Mm -hmm. you can't afford to waste it. So if there's food in front of her, yeah, she'll eat. But there's also probably some basic adaption there where there's food in front of her and it's delicious. And so, yeah, she'll eat as much as she can.
1: Yeah, it is really interesting to think about, like, her versus someone in the capital who would be eating a lot. It's for very different reasons. One is because she's had so little with the additional motivation of bulking up. And then the other, it's just because they want to. It's <laughs> they just don't need to. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. The first sentence: The meal comes in courses. Yeah. Like having multiple courses is, in and of itself, a luxury.
0: Courses are an experiential thing. It's mm-hmm. about food as experience, something that you are doing to probably share with others. So, so you know, often there's communal aspect to it. But typically, if it, there's courses, you're being waited upon. So
1: <laughs> Absolutely, those
0: elements. And these, this is something that is for pleasure. None of those are things that that Katniss had other than the communal aspect. Mm. But being waited upon, definitely not. And for pleasure, no. Food's for survival.
1: And even the idea is like, you have time Mm -hmm. to have multiple courses. Yeah, Yeah, not everybody has the luxury of that.
0: Yeah. I I don't think I ever noticed before you reading it out loud right now was the descriptor of green salad. And Mm. that could be just a description, you know, say it's not a pasta salad or some other kind of salad. But I took it to mean, How often has Katniss had green leafy greens as a salad? How often has her salads been brown or covered in coal dust or some other kind of way where, you know, in District 12, there's not going to be a a bunch of fresh produce around.
1: And even if she's foraging things in the forest, there isn't a place to keep these things cold unless Mm -hmm. it's just... The winter time, you know, and so it's going to be put into soups and stews and stuff like that. It's not just going to be as a salad.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, why don't we get into our discussion proper? What character did you want to talk about regarding greed in The Hunger Games?
1: You know, my character's a little bit of a stretch, but I wanted to go for it anyway. I wanted to talk about Coriolanus Snow.
0: Of course you did. Yeah. <laughs>
1: so not just the automatic, most obvious things about him. But I was thinking about him specifically because you can maybe argue that you see greed in a lot of different characters at different times throughout the series, but like to a small extent or a momentary thing. And then there would be whole sectors of society that Hmm. operate very much in greed. But Snow in particular is, he stands out in relation to greed because not only does he... We not really care that his greed makes other people have less, which in general, like, that's how greed works. But we'll take it a step further to lie, cheat, steal, and kill mm. to feed his greed for more power and more money and more status. And I was thinking about, like, the idea of greed. There is this negative connotation attached to greed. There have been ideas about greed negative ideas associated with greed for centuries and centuries Mm -hmm. you know you have ancient greek philosophers talking about things you have ancient china and like taoism and greed being a vice in in that philosophy as well and then you have like medieval and like modern christian and muslim theologies Mm -hmm. greed is a negative thing and generosity is a positive thing even philosophers you could could go into too, like Marx or something, mm-hmm. um, that really looks at some of the evil in society and and how do we combat that with a system of governments? And so yeah, I think that there's there's kind of a a stigma that isn't unwarranted, but still a stigma around greed. I mean, even like you think about like greed is one of the seven deadly sins mm-hmm. <laughs> within within Christianity, and so I was thinking about greed kind of versus entitlement Hmm. and how I wonder if in some ways entitlement is just a different way for people to frame greed to get away from the stigma of greed Mm -hmm. because it's not just I want more and more and more it's I deserve more and more and more and I deserve more than other people and so you're putting in some level of legitimacy there that obviously we would say is untrue. <laughs> for, I mean, for a lot of things, um, entitlement as an idea and as a, a function in society. So yeah, I was kind of thinking about Coralana Snow and how he has such a strong idea of entitlement and what belongs to him and what his family should be. And he thinks he has the right to these certain things because he comes from this elevated snow family. Mm -hmm. And that gives him legitimacy to do whatever he wants to whoever he wants, because snows should be in power. Snows land on top. He kind of lives that way, <laughs> and that's, that's his attitude towards things. And then you get to the end of The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, and he's living with the, or basically living off of the plants' money. I just want to read this whole section because it's just, it's too demonstrative of my point, but I just need to. <laughs> so this is the very end. This is in the epilogue of The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, and it says... Ma already came by daily to help with the grandmam, who'd resigned herself to having a new, quote, maid. And she... (laughs) Chris is just shaking his head. (laughs) And she and Tigris got on swimmingly. The Plints paid for everything now. The taxes on the apartment, his tuition, the cook. They gave him a generous allowance as well. This was helpful because although he'd intercepted and pocketed the envelope of money he'd sent to Tigers from District 12, the money that he stole from Dead Sejanus’s locker...
0: And now he's sending to his family and stealing from them, kind of.
1: University life was expensive when done right. Strabo never questioned his expenditures or nitpicked over a few new additions to his wardrobe, and he seemed pleased when Snow asked for advice. They were surprisingly compatible. At times, he almost forgot Old Plinth was district. Almost. Yeah, I just think that kind of perfectly... is a a perfect example of this attitude that, like, he has no guilt over using this other family's money because he thinks that he deserves it. He thinks he should have these things. They're just district. It's almost, I think an affront to him that people who are district would have more than him as a capital citizen as a snow Mm -hmm. and so yeah i think his entitlement is greed but kind of under a different name and as we get into the the original trilogy we see how that's not just something he's kept for himself, but for most capital citizens as well. He's reestablished that area of Penem to be entitled and to take from the districts and to reap the benefits of all of their labor. Mm. yeah, I think he really does instill those ideas of entitlement into the capital citizens with things like the lavish banquets and Things that just kind of reinforce the greed that is underlying the social stratification that exists in mm. Penem.
0: Yeah, I think it's interesting because I see there, and in Snow, a-, a kind of greed at a communal level. Because mm. while, while I think that he has individual greed for power and status, as you mentioned, I don't necessarily think that he necessarily needs to be the wealthiest person other than because it might make him the most powerful person. But I don't see him as as needing things and being greedy for things in the same way that we often think of with, you know, dragon hordes and things like that. And so a lot of the 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 more materialistic aspect of his greed comes from this difference between capital and district, and that the capital deserves to live with plenty and the district does not because he sees them as as so specifically other and not part of the same community and and the hunger games and, and all the things that go into his philosophy throughout the Battle of songbirds and stakes show that he sees still the relationship between district and capital as being an adversarial one being one mm-hmm. that's about war and the prevention of war through the hunger games because there is no ability to live outside of this kind of adversarial relationship. And so, yeah, I see this really interesting kind of greed and in, 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 in entitlement in the communal sense where, you know, it, it is their right because they are better as capital citizens and need to continually enforce this against the district.
1: And I wonder, too, if, like, going back, some of this would have kind of lodged into his psyche as... Being a kid who didn't have as much food mm-hmm. when he was young and the war was going on and thinking, if they have this, we don't. Mm-hmm. So, like, we have to have it. And even if they can't have it, that's fine. We come first. Yeah, it's this this scarcity mentality.
0: Totally. Yeah. Yeah. One thing I do kind of want to push back on is your... your description of entitlement as being a kind of greed, which I think it can be, and and I think for Snow it certainly is. Um, I do think there are elements of entitlement that, when it's used in its best form, is more universalist and less about greed, therefore. Because greed, I think, is about wanting to hoard and to ensure that you have more than others. It's this more social response where it is comparative. But I think that some when I think of entitlements and, and what people should be entitled to, my mind goes to things like the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, where, you know, everyone <laughs> should be entitled to these basic rights that should be given to them by world governments. And those kinds of entitlements aren't about greed because they should be universal. They should be about everyone has access to this. Even though most countries in the world have signed on to the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, those countries all, I would argue, also have policies and cultures that do not afford equal rights to everyone. And so, though I think people are entitled to them, that entitlement is not given out. And even by signing the declaration, these governments still don't really believe, and these communities do not believe that these entitlements should be universal. But
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think we just differ on some of our views of language like should have access which is different than like i have a right to blank i don't know when we talk about certain privileges i think it's a very slippery slope not to have it be so self-focused and like potentially selfish <laughs> uh, Again, I mean, sure, if you want to talk about all people have entitlement to something, but that's not really the way I don't think that we use that word in the world. Usually entitlement is more like people who think they deserve something and they should have privileges or special treatment, which is, you know, one of the definitions of entitlement that I looked at before this. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yeah, for sure. And and you know, it might be that I'm thinking of legalistic language that's like you're entitled to Mm -hmm. a lawyer, you're entitled to whatever it might be. And again, those things in certain modern ideologies being universalist, but these things are very nuanced. But yeah, just another interesting perspective. But I I like your your use of the word selfish because one of the things that I was thinking of for this episode was are there distinctions between greed and selfishness? And when do they overlap? And, and when can they not be overlapping? And uh, yeah, it's just, it's I think, an interesting question. And now that I'm looking at the word entitlement, I don't know the etymology, but it seems like it probably comes from those who have land titles have (laughs) certain kinds of rights and entitlements exactly that come with that. And so it it almost certainly came from a exclusionary distinction.
1: And an idea of ownership, right? Which, again, obviously, snow has a big problem with. Yeah. But should we move into our plot point or your plot point?
0: Sure. I want to talk about how the capital utilizes or attempts to utilize greed against people in the districts through the Hunger Games. They try to utilize the greed or the possible greed of people to control them and, and to make them more active and willing participants in the Hunger Games yeah. um, through, in particular, the, the, the giving of rewards to the winners, to the victors, um, and to their districts as well.
1: Yeah, definitely the victors, not the winners. (laughs) There are no winners.
0: (laughs) Very good point. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Such good use of language. (sighs) Okay, anyway. But the the victors, after they are victorious, they are granted a mansion, more than enough food and wealth to rely on. And their district also gets a big substantial sum of gifts and feasts and these other kinds of things that, that make a substantial difference, particularly for people who are barely getting by. Yeah. So, yeah, they kind of try to incorporate this greed, and this is, I think, a method that can help turn districts against each other, help ensure that solidarity does not increase, because not only are you seeing other districts kill someone that you might know, but they're also, in so doing, making it harder for you to survive.
1: Hmm.
0: Similarly, I can imagine that someone who is facing intense poverty might see participating in and being victorious in the games as the only way of alleviating a kind of widespread poverty for their community. Because sure, they could go and put their name into the games lottery a lot more times to get some some more oil and grain for their family, but it's not going to be enough to Maybe even feed their family, and certainly not their entire community, their friends, their, their extended family, other people in the, in the area. Yeah, so I, I can see how careers in particular, but any, any person, could feel like this is a legitimate and logical way of dealing with some of the issues that are also put on them systemically by the capital of poverty and, and food insecurity and all these other kinds of things.
1: Yeah, definitely. I, I was thinking about that a little bit too. And it's interesting because you have the careers. Mm-hmm. They don't always win, but they win the majority of the time, someone from the career alliances. So you have District 1, 2, and 4 getting the annual benefit that, that the whole district gets Majority of the time, Mm -hmm. and you could see that then leading the people from those districts to start thinking of winning the games not as a method of survival but as a new status to bring on Mm -hmm. yourself. Since you start having people from the career districts volunteer Mm -hmm. and not volunteer like Katniss volunteers, but volunteers because they think it brings them some glory. Or maybe they want that mansion. Yeah. You know, and maybe them taking that mansion kicks an old career person out if they hmm. only built so many. I don't I don't know how that works. But I could also see then being from the other districts and you see this year after year after year as your district starves. These other districts get more and more and more. And every time it's like, ah, oh, district two, district one, district four and yeah, a lot of animosity could build up. And you could have attitudes of like, someone from our district needs to go in there and kill them and take that away Mm -hmm. from them, you know, and it's it's not exactly greed, because I don't think greed counts when it's like just pure survival Mm -hmm. level, like to get up to the level of not being malnourished. But yeah I think it would sow a lot of discord and I also wonder like even within the districts themselves for the first year after sure everybody gets this extra measure of grain and that's great for all of the districts that are really struggling for basic sustenance but then after that year is done and you have the victor from your district, living in this mansion, and they continue to get these rewards forever, I could see that that would drive a wedge between the victor and the rest of their community as well. Hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. It also makes me think of the talents that victors are able to and expected to develop. That in of itself is a sign of status, that you do not have to work, that you have time to develop into a talent, a hobby. I wonder if there are any people who see The Hunger Games as a way to give them the ability to be a musician, to be an artist, to be something that they are passionate about. And if they are understandably depressed and distressed, and hopeless from their life in the districts, that being a possible way out.
1: Mm-hmm, hmm Yeah. Well, and then you get in also into the territory of the coping mechanisms that different mm-hmm. victors have. Hamish, who is an alcoholic. Yeah. How much is he using up that maybe in some ways it could be used for, you know, medicinal purposes or, you know, whatever the things are The morphlings even more yeah, so. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, because you have that time when Madge brought over her mom's, one of her mom's morphling doses after Gail was whipped and seeing what a valuable resource that was. And yeah. like just in bare minimum of pain management after something terrible has happened. And I don't blame... These different people because they have an addiction. But Mm -hmm. as it functions in their community and in their society, they are taking more than an equal share. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. The last thing I I wanted to touch on was something that you, you kind of alluded to earlier as well, which is how in the career districts there is a level of greater comfort than there might be in other districts, which lead to some people kind of moving towards success. And I think that's a really interesting element too, because it highlights how in communities that have resources, they are more able to invest those resources in then gaining more wealth.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And one thing that you said earlier as well was, was how greed doesn't come into the play the same way when you're dealing with survival. Mm-hmm. because it is just about survival and not about hoarding, not about taking more than is necessary. And certainly not to the same extent as the Capitol, but Districts 1, 2, and 4 are able to invest resources into training people to be tributes and to participate in this way. And that alone shows that there is... Yeah, uh, just uh, another dimension to the way that these kinds of things work systemically. And and clearly the capital is fine with this. Otherwise, they wouldn't <laughs> yeah. shut it down.
1: It's technically against the rules, but it obviously is happening.
0: Yeah. And I'm wondering and, and thinking about how the capital is utilizing this. We, we learned at the end of the Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes that Snow himself was the brainchild of a lot of these developments in the Hunger Games. So... Yeah, seeing how these become systemic as a way of kind of manipulating people through desire for material gain, whether for survival or not, is just another way that Collins makes such a really great, robust, and nuanced world.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
0: Well, let's move on. What is your compelling question for me?
1: I wanted to know what symbols do you see being used to send messages about greed? And, you know, that can be either in penem to the population or in the books to the readers.
0: Hmm. Interesting. The first thing that comes to mind is how the stylists tend to dress the tributes in the resources of their districts.
1: hmm mm-hmm.
0: As a way that really exemplifies how they are nothing more than the resources they provide.
1: Right, how sad is that? You are a commodity to Exactly.
0: Us. You know, that is a symbol for the audience. That's not a symbol for <laughs> the, the districts back home <laughs> until Sina comes in. But it's for the audience to know, oh, that's District 12. She was the one in the coal miner's outfit. And of course, this also often comes in with the sexualization and objectification of people that way
1: absolutely Um, which uh, plays into disgusting greed as well
0: exactly yeah so yeah so that's the first thing that comes to mind in panem were there things that you were particularly thinking about
1: yeah well i was definitely thinking about the cornucopia Mm. as the symbol of look at the plenty here at your disposal. It's like it almost, it's situated as a gift, but obviously it's not because it's filled with weapons. These beautiful, shiny weapons, Mm -hmm. new weapons. And I think it's really, yeah, sending a, a message symbolically to the districts that we manufacture all of these things. You know, we have all of this and whoever controls the majority of stuff in the cornucopia has a way better chance of winning the games. Yeah.
0: It's so interesting, too, because it's a cornucopia. And for me, at least, my only time I've engaged with the word cornucopia outside of Hunger Games is like second grade Thanksgiving lessons.
1: <laughs> totally. Color in this cornucopia and make your hand turkey.
0: Exactly. <laughs> And my thoughts on Thanksgiving now are also <laughs> dealing with ideas of greed and violence and, right. and these other kinds of
1: look of at this aspects. land of plenty for us
0: exactly we're
1: gonna take it
0: <laughs> Oh, and let's celebrate how how we can give thanks together with the indigenous people and and how we lived alongside each other for a year. <laughs>
1: In one really small area. <laughs> In
0: one small area. And it, even that wasn't as cut and dry as we're making it seem. <laughs> yeah. And then we continued with our genocide.
1: Yeah, there, there's that bit. That yeah. terrible, terrible bit.
0: Exactly. Yeah. So,
1: <laughs> But yeah, you, you slap a cornucopia on it and it somehow seems like this gracious thing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> totally. And so I don't know if the cornucopia has a meaning outside of that. But for me, it is just another way, whether it's intentional or not, that some of the greedy aspects and the, the just awful ways that the society of Panem is structured mirrors some awful ways that our society is structured.
1: <laughs> yes, yes, it, it does do that. I also was thinking about, you mentioned earlier when we were talking about the courses of, of dinner being waited on. And I'm thinking of the Avoxes and this symbol of status. If you have an AVOX, that means you have more power, you have more resources, you have more money. And it's obviously at someone else's expense, but not just someone else's expense. It's at the expense of somebody who was a dissident. Mm -hmm. And this idea of people dying of starvation... In other parts of the country, or in our case, in other parts of the world. And then you have people just waiting on people.
0: Who, again, are objectified by losing their voice. Mm. Or not losing, having their voice taken from them.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was also thinking about if, in District 13, if they are doing things to symbolize the opposite of greed, because they all wear the same gray uniforms, Mm. And they have rules against taking food out of the dining hall. There are these different things put in place to, yeah, basically symbolize other people aren't really better or don't get more than anyone else does. I was also thinking about the idea of debts that is talked about a lot. And Mm. if in some way, if it is symbolic, At least in in some people's minds. If you receive help, but you don't give help in return, does that make you greedy? Does that liken you to the capital that receives and Mm. gives nothing in return?
0: Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. And and I don't know if I I do see it there, but it's an interesting way of thinking about it. Mm -hmm. Because Katniss, I think, does in so many ways serve as a foil to the capital. And that is interesting to think about her perspective on debts versus someone like Snow's perspective on (laughs) debts.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Her perspective on debt, it means something about you personally. Mm. Whereas to someone like Snow, a debt means you collect or they pay for it in some other way. Exactly.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: But why don't we move into your question for me?
0: So you kind of touched on this in talking about District 13. But I would argue that capitalism as a system (laughs) holds greed as its center.
1: Capitalism spelled in the capital way. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly.
0: But that's the thing is, I'm wondering where you see other economic and social systems in Panem.
1: It's interesting because we see bartering Mm -hmm. done a lot in District 12, which isn't to say that bartering can't happen in a capitalist system, but it can't happen the same way and you can't base capitalism on bartering yeah. because there isn't the same exchange of funds which directly correlates to taxes. And
0: There's no capital. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. It's like, you ate the evidence. So <laughs> It's much more difficult. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And so I think that that is... A really interesting way and now is making me wonder like how that functions in district 12 mm-hmm. if bartering in district 12 one it just seems like it's a practical thing for someone like katniss that is gonna the hunt which is against the rules yeah but i wonder if there is any part of it because you know the hob is in the seam And the seam is the most impoverished area of District 12. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if they've kind of found ways to maneuver around some of the ways that would further disadvantage them Mm. as a community within District 12 where... I don't know how the mayor's family is getting their money. Are they paid by the capital? Or is there some sort of like taxation Mm -hmm. that happens? In which case, yeah, maybe. The bartering is a way to subvert some of those inequalities, um, which, yeah, would be really interesting. And it's
0: probably yes and. It's probably Mm -hmm. a tax system created and, you know, maintained by the capital. Then they invest some funds into, you know, municipal government but, yeah, I think that a place like PETA's Bakery, like these capitalist kinds of locations, are most likely, yeah, if you buy a cake from them, there's going to be a tax there mm-hmm. that is going to go to the capital and wherever they deem it necessary. Yeah. And and I think one of the other things in that, that, that even touches with the bartering system, is the head peacekeeper who barters to sexually exploit women. Yeah. Because he has the resources to do so.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: for him, it's not just about survival. It's not just, I am particularly gifted at hunting. And so I will bring in extra pelts and, and meat to exchange for the other things that I don't have access to or, mm-hmm. or am able to get. He is able to give favors or money for sexual exploitation.
1: Yeah, I mean, so he's a great example. He is no doubt paid by the capital to maintain... oppressive system Mm -hmm. through quote-unquote law enforcement which is you know upholding a completely greedy society and structure and then he within his place in that hierarchy uses his position to be greedy in such a disgusting abusive way to sexually abuse girls to yeah not get around something like paying taxes Mm -hmm. but just because he doesn't want a paper trail you know
0: exactly yeah yeah and also i'm sure because there's an element of power oh
1: absolutely yeah if it was just money and everybody had enough money then it would not be the same situation
0: yeah yeah for sure
1: (laughs) yeah yep yep yep
0: okay well are there any other systems outside of the, the bartering that you see
1: That was the main one I was thinking of. What were you thinking of?
0: One of the things even kind of similar to the bartering system that that came to mind was the Covey's performances, Mm
1: -hmm. where
0: they would get certain gigs that they're paid for to do weddings and things like that. They also perform for free and then ask for basically donations. Donations, Yeah, that I think is such a, particularly in the way they do it, is such a, a different kind of communal way of of dealing with resources mm-hmm. where it's not a yeah, everything is contracted and everything is about what you give as an employer and an employee or contractor or contractee. But instead it's they are providing a service and they are requesting support in return. So both ways it's it's more of a giving relationship than a contractual relationship.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also, like I was mentioning before, with District 13, they have a much more communist way of, of operating where it's like every person gets a room to stay in. Mm-hmm. Nobody is in the hallways or outside, you know, because they can't pay. And it doesn't even seem like they have money at all Mm -hmm. that we we see and yeah everything is allotted and everybody gets it based on basically how much they weigh or i assume it's like a five-year-old does would not eat the same amount as bogs or something yeah yeah. and everybody gets a time stamp on their arm with what they're doing and it's like this very this way of like equalizing everyone Mm -hmm. um making everything an
0: algorithm rather mm -hmm. than really seeing people as people
1: yeah yeah yeah. but in doing so no one's starving Yep. nobody has to resort to other dangerous or abusive ways of doing things i mean obviously they like torture people and stuff but that's that's when people break the rules that's when somebody was being greedy and also when it's agreed upon like yes you and gail can go out and hunt but it's for you to bring back Mm -hmm. be given to the cook and then it'll benefit everyone
0: Yeah, personal possessions are very, very limited in this kind of of environment. And I like how Collins shows the efficiency of such an environment and how a community that has so few resources is able to survive using such an efficient system while also acknowledging that it comes with a loss of freedom and Mm -hmm. that there's isn't a lot of
1: self-expression there's an art there's an, exactly you know because it's it would be a waste there's even this whole back and forth argument about having Finnegan annie's wedding yeah and <laughs> spending resources to do this and then going back and forth between the lavish extravagant <laughs> celebration that plutarch wants to throw mm-hmm. and then coin being like literally they can just stand and say vows it just yeah this clash of ideas i mean and it, i don't think that everything in the world every all personal expression would not need to be stopped for everyone to have enough to eat in our world yeah you know it that's it's not a necessary thing for district 13 it is a lot more necessary because they only have what's there they can't even you know they're not even letting anyone else know they exist yeah. you know but such stringent limitations wouldn't need to be put on there if the capital wasn't hoarding all of the goods and resources.
0: Totally, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And bringing up the capital, it made me think about, and, and I'm in no way an economist or an economic historian, but it made me think about whether the capital's relationship with the districts, at the very least, is a form of capitalism or... If it is more like feudalism, because mm-hmm. these are people who are tied to the land and the resources on the land and expected to produce on that land. There is, I think, much more of a form of coerced labor and expectation. I can't imagine that someone who refuses to work would be able to get by very well outside that system. And when that they also have such so, limited options on how to work. We don't see any Covey-like artists and entertainers in the District 12 by the time of Katniss. And I wonder if there has been a a clamp down on those kinds of things.
1: Well, and also maybe the Covey, too, were able to exist as artists because the racism against them, Mm -hmm. that they wouldn't just be hired to do other jobs.
0: Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it it just makes me think whether it would just be another form of capitalist slavery or colonialism or other kind of form of unfreedom that has existed within capitalist societies as well. Yeah, I, I just, I wonder whether the districts would be seen as colonies, as plantations,
1: mm-hmm.
0: as feudal land holdings.
1: <laughs> or is the capital just the 1%? <laughs> <laughs>
0: I mean, and that could be it, too, because when you think about District 13, from our perspective, it seems extremely strict and stringent because we have so much as Americans. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so the limitation of our expression and our celebrations and all these other things seem, at least to me, as a big deal
1: crushing the human spirit yeah, totally
0: and and so sometimes I have to challenge myself to be like
1: we're so American is it sometimes? though yeah yeah
0: exactly we're coming from our own biases yeah.
1: oh I thought starving to death was crushing the, the human spirit yeah well I guess we should move into our missed opportunities I mean really my curiosity has been piqued by our conversation earlier about the career hmm. district's so yeah, I am just, I feel like I want so much more to, to know if any strategies were employed for the best way to kind of game the system. Hmm. Because if you just trained 10% of the people that could be in the reaping, Gave them extra food. You, yeah, trained 10% in combat and any other things you have access to, whether it be plants or different animals and things like that. And then you say, if someone else's name is called, we expect you to volunteer. Mm -hmm. You only have to do that for so many years. Then, District 2, if we're using them as an example, to have the entire population be more nourished and less health issues and all of these different aspects of society then you are so greatly advantaging yourself and like you're hoarding all of these extra resources not going to any of the rest of M. so yeah i'm just i'm just wondering if there were any strategies like that employed in the games and if maybe some other districts have thought of it but they thought of it too late So even if they tried to employ something like that, the other three districts already had so much more.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's so interesting.
1: And so it's not exactly a missed opportunity. It's more like her writing's so good (laughs) that now (laughs) I'm interested in all these other things, (laughs) which is generally our uh, Hunger Games missed (laughs) opportunity.
0: Totally. And even, you know, that opens up other questions because the, you know, 10, 15 years, a, a generation or however long it takes for the career districts to have this new system of those who are going to volunteer and everyone being healthier, does that mean that they also don't have to deal with the fear of their child possibly being reaped every year? Mm Because they know they've got volunteers. And the psychic toll that keeps oppressing the other districts in in an additional way doesn't affect them the same way. And that can help them be more Mm pro-capital because they don't have that kind of fear Of losing their children.
1: Well, and also, what would be the district kind of nationalistic sort of rhetoric Mm. that would be indoctrinated in these kids from the beginning of? I'm sure words like hero Mm -hmm. would be thrown around. You know, how is it that we get people to sign up for the military in the United States? I'm sure there would be a lot of the same tactics. Yeah,
0: and yeah, because it's it's glory. But mm-hmm. it's, it's service and duty, but it's, it's also... sacrificing
1: for your people.
0: But it's also, we'll give you an education. Mm-hmm. We'll give you medical care.
1: You get a house and you don't have to worry about starving, like... Totally. ...GI Bill, Yeah, know? it's very comparable. Yeah, yeah. Well, what about you? What's your missed opportunity slash... Not really a missed opportunity, <laughs> it's just... How do we even find one?
0: Yeah, because these books are good. <laughs> yeah, mine is, I would love to know more about how the, how the world came to be the way it was. I feel like Collins hinted at, but never made explicit how Panem came to be because of human greed.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: We can make our own conclusions knowing that they dealt with climate change with the sea levels rising. Yeah. They dealt with nuclear war, which all of those I think come out of a kind of nationalist capitalism or capitalist nationalism.
1: <laughs> Chicken and egg. <A. laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. Uh, so I think that it would be interesting to kind of see, see more of that. And as we've mentioned in many previous episodes, also see how that incorporated on the international stage.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, the United States, which Pan Am exists within the geographical boundaries of, does have a wealth of resources in many ways.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Does that make... The United States or Panem really have advantage over other nation states in this post-apocalyptic world, and, and mm-hmm. yeah, love to see all of those those kinds of things. And
1: absolutely. And
0: when I think about greed, I think about these systemic issues in our own world, where the greed of Americans. And the things that we find natural, that we don't often think about, come at the expense of these connections that are international and wide-ranging and based in uneven power relationships.
1: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I wonder how much of the inequalities and like social stratification that already exists in our country now, how much that would play into who's in the seam and who's in the rest Mm -hmm. of town who is buying from the Malarks Bakery, even the malarks don't get to enjoy that food, you know. How did those people get to have more power and resources within District 12? Was that just carrying over from before Panem was set up?
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Oh, the questions.
0: Oh, the questions. <laughs> well, why don't we finish up with our takeaways?
1: Yeah, so I think my takeaway is... Yes, we were talking about the capital for sure, but we've also talked a lot about greed in the districts Mm -hmm. between each other or kind of lack of greed in District 13. So I'm really interested to see as I I read the books again, probably in the not-so-distant future, (laughs) (laughs) I'm really interested to pay more attention to where greed is involved, not just between districts and the capital because that was fairly obvious to me from the beginning Mm. and there's always more to to notice or or whatnot but uh yeah i'm I'm definitely going to be paying more close attention to where greed and inequalities exist within the districts or between districts and and yeah kind of how that functions interesting yeah what about you
0: what's on my mind is the interpersonal relationships Mm. that exist and how greed does or does not take place in those because one of the things that we discussed in our Ballads of Songbirds and Stakes episodes was how Snow's love in quotation marks for Lucy Gray was a greedy love. It was Mm. a possessive love. It Mm -hmm. was about what he wanted and that was all that mattered. Yeah. And one of the things I love about Katniss's relationship with Peta and with Gale is that it doesn't ever have that same quality.
1: There's a little bit of, like, jealousy and stuff going on. Totally,
0: and, and I sure. think that that makes sense. Yeah, But I, mean, I think so often in these love triangle kind of media, we see, in particular, the two male love interests often physically fighting over
1: <laughs> yeah. their
0: shared love interest.
1: And I never thought about that. Never happens in this. Never it's happens. And so nice. So refreshing. The, the two of them
0: never really have much communication, but the one big conversation we see them have is about Katniss. And them both being like, who's she gonna pick? And it's camaraderie. You know, we also see Gail go out to save PETA. Volunteer for the extraction squad that's going to save mm-hmm.
1: him and then you have peta being like katniss go get sleep i'll stay with gail mm-hmm. as he's healing from the whipping
0: yeah the two of them i think they even if they may, might be jealous of the other those are all flare-ups they're they're their feelings they're not the way that these people inhabit their world and their their relationships especially when peta in the beginning of Catching Fire apologizes to Katniss and Absolutely. and says, I'm sorry that I expected you to, to be where I was at and is able to put romantic love for her aside for that relationship. I just think is is not greedy. It is exactly. giving.
1: It's. I thought that we had something different than we did and I'm sad about that, but yeah, I'm not entitled to anything you've said or acted like in the games exactly yeah
0: unfortunately uh and this may be news to our our listeners (laughs) but romantic relationships and love are not often portrayed in healthy ways in media but you know i i remember when i first heard about the hunger games it was through a prism of Oh, it's another you know young heroine in a love story with two you know. It's
1: basically, Twilight. Two, exactly, you know, it's,
0: it's it's part of the same kind yeah. of oeuvre that was, uh,
1: oeuvre. Yeah,
0: that was uh, wow. Very in for a little bit there. So I kind of wrote it off, not knowing any more. And I'm I'm very impressed that it is so so much more than that.
1: You realize how wrong you were.
0: I was quite wrong. Yes. 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 <laughs> And so was the way that it was being covered in the media and then the way that, you know, people talked about it, unfortunately.
1: Yeah. I mean, people. Can't trust them. I, you, that's so true, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Katniss's quote, for there to be betrayal, there would have had to be trust first.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, these books are so good.
0: <laughs> On that uplifting note, can you pull up what we'll be discussing next week?
1: Yeah, so next week, we are going to be returning to Avatar Last Airbender and Legend of Korra, and we are going to be looking through the theme of friendship. Oh, that'll be fun. Oh, so
0: cute. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Geek Between the Lines. You can find the links to our social media and our website in the episode description. You can also join us on Patreon at patreon.com. That is a great way of getting access to all the extra content that we've been doing over the last couple of years, being able to help support the show and keep us sustainable. We're so grateful to all of our patrons, and we'd love for you to join them. Another way you can help the show is by giving us a five-star review. Wherever you listen to us, give us a rating, give us a review. It helps us to get out to new listeners. We want to thank Kimberly taylor Pastel at Lacelet for designing our logo. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week. Until then,
1: geek out!